Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Desiree's Baby by Kate Chopin, or as I said to my students, Kate Chopin. <laughs> um, is there a correct pronunciation? Well, uh, she's a French speaker, a, a Cajun type person, so she probably knows how to pronounce the French as if it were French. So mm. it, it probably is Kate Chopin. Uh, but it's not pronounced Chopin, you know, it's American. So most people pronounce it Chopin or Chopin. Mm. Um, but it's Kate, you know, not Catherine. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the French is very important in this story. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. Very important. I, I'm curious as how you uh, found out about this story, because it's not an author I'd heard of before. But um, I'm also curious as to why we're talking about it, because it's. It's not really science fiction and fantasy, or is it? Well, um, we don't, of course, necessarily restrict ourselves to science fiction and fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess let me reply to what you have just asked, Jesse, uh, in two different ways. The first, uh, uh, how I came upon this story, and second, why I think that it's um, not only a good story, but a good story that fits with some of the things that we typically talk about, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, Chopin herself is, uh, in fact, very, very widely known, uh, at least among people who take courses in feminism in high school or in college, for an 1899 novel called The Awakening, which is really one of the foundational literary texts for the uh, the feminist movement in America. So uh, Chopin is is indeed well known, but that's a whole novel, The Awakening. And it's a story about a woman who uh, seeks to have a sense of independence. And I won't tell you a whole lot more about what happens because like Desiree's baby, it has uh, perhaps unexpected ending. Um, it's very, very well written. And as I say, it's, it's very widely read as a as a work that appears in in curricula. It's not, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, a book that you see people just sort of hanging around, sitting in a park, reading for the fun of it, but but they might. It's it's a very interestingly written book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Set in New Orleans at more or less the time of its own, uh, at the time of its publication. Now, 1899 is a time when women are Uh, Indeed, quite uh, second class in American society. The patriarchy is in full swing. I'm not so sure where Desiree's baby is set in time, and we can discuss that. I, at one point in my life, was uh, seeking to do a uh, to to create an anthology uh, having to do with the different kinds of forms that short stories can take. And I, in fact, did publish that. Uh, it's called Form and Fiction, and it was um, it was used uh, fairly widely for a while. It was a terrific research project for me because, as most people with uh, advanced degrees in literature, 
I had been raised on a form, and my form was the novel rather than drama or poetry. So I focused more on the novel. And when you focus on the novel in graduate school, they don't have you reading short stories. Mm -hmm. It's this whole other thing, you know, a world of stuff. And I grew up on that stuff. I grew up reading fantasy and science fiction magazine. I grew up reading analog. You know, I I read short stories voluntarily because they were fun. Mm-hmm. And and yet what I was being asked to read, even though they were very good, um, were really of a different form. A novel isn't just a long, short story. Other things happen. So while I was doing that anthology, I started reading very widely in all kinds of different short stories. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do was see the relationship between the short story and the novel of authors whom I admired. I did admire Chopin's The Awakening. And so I wanted to see about her short stories. And it turned out that she had published a lot of them. And one volume of her short stories called Bayou Folk, uh, really in its time was enormously popular. And as I read through it, I saw some of the stories and Desiree's baby just floored me when I read Mm -hmm. it. It just knocked me out. Uh, so that's how I knew about it. I came upon it years ago just because I was interested in, in finding nifty short stories, nifty for any one of a number of possible reasons. I was open to, uh, to learning, and, and I did. Now, you know, why uh, it fits with this, though – I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Let me – please speak. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically – I'm super prejudiced against anything that isn't science fiction fantasy. Uh, because I find it to be either pretentious or aspirational or, you know, and and so one of the things that I use as a guide to tell me whether I'm going to enjoy a story or not is if it's on ISFDB, the Internet Speculative Fiction Database, right, a massive project made by some anonymous person who's obviously one of the greatest human beings in my life. Um, or maybe multiple human beings, they put on only things that are basically science fiction or fantasy. Now, there are some exceptions, but if it's not on ISFDB, I probably don't want to read it. Um, There are some exceptions I make, like horror or mystery, but this is on there. And Isaac Asimov has classified it as uh, horror or supernatural from the 19th century. In his book, Isaac Asimov presents the best horror and supernatural from the 19th century. Uh, a Treasury of American Horror Stories classifies this as a horror story. <laughs> Their Treasury of American Horror Stories. American Gothic, is it's also listed in, and great short stories by great American writers um, also has it, but that can include Poe, right? Mm-hmm. But it, to me, if it's not if it doesn't have a science fiction fantasy element in it, I probably don't want to read it because of a few things. And I look at this and I say, it doesn't have any, um, except for that horror of human existence. And then I was thinking about it again. It is, it's alien to me also. And these people are aliens. They're acting in alien ways. And so I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about it with you because even though it has this uh, very um, I would say bad core of being a realistic fiction story, <laughs> it isn't actually that bad. In fact, it's quite good, and it's it's also a very good story. 
um, on top of all the, you know, the, the crap I could throw at it. It's also a very good story. Um, very well written. Um, and I think Kate Chopin has, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, they, people I was reading think it's native ability. I don't know if that's true, but she's certainly got a, a great writing ability in this amazingly compressed story. There's so much going on. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to. I, I like your self irony, Jesse. Recognizing that uh, what some people would say is just a matter of taste, or since we're reading a short story today that uh, has a lot of French in it, chacun a son goût. You know, each one has his own taste, and and mm-hmm. your preference for fantasy and science fiction is. Uh, is perhaps a, a matter of prejudice, you call it. I won't say that. I will say, though, that there are ways in which we could define certainly the fantastic that um, this story would fit. And there are ways in which we could define science fiction in which this story would fit. Mm. But uh, in order to but but, you know, I, I don't for your sake, my friend, I would be happy to try to explain why it might be sensible for ISFDB to list this story as in the fantasy and science fiction world. But personally, I am not drawn to it because it fits in that world. I'm drawn to it for the last things that you said, that it's really a very good story, very well written. And I think, in fact, like the best literature, including the best fantasy and science fiction, it's about things that really, really matter in your Mm. life. This story is about love. It's about economics. It's about knowledge. It's about uh, family. It's about the relationship between the individual and his society. It's about politics. It's about the patriarchy. It's about gender. There are all sorts of things going on here. It's about culture clash. Um, I think it's a terrific story in many ways. But I'll tell you what I'd like to do, if just so that anyone who's listening to us and hasn't read this comparatively short, short story um, is unaware of it. Let me give just a hate to do this because it has a it has an unexpected ending. But I'm going to have to, you know, give that ending to make clear what's going on. I'd like to give just sort of a a summary of what's going on in the story Mm -hmm. and and then ask you uh, a question about it before I try to respond to your question reasonable inquiry about why I thought of this for us. Is that okay? Yep. Okay. So it's called Desiree's Baby. And uh, I'll admit from the beginning that my French is uh, hardly fluent. And I keep finding myself torn between saying Desiree's Baby and Desiree's Baby. And with all of the French words that appear from time to time, sometimes I switch into a French accent, sometimes not. I don't mean to be pretentious. I'm just not consistent. so in this story called Desiree's Baby, which came out in Vogue magazine in 1893, um, it was, uh, in fact, published at the same time as another story by Chopin in the same issue. And they were her first publications. Um, uh-huh. uh, in this story, uh, we open with um, a woman, um, Madame Valmondé, driving over to La Brie, um, to see Desiree and the baby. So l'abri happens to mean the shelter, but we can already tell from the way it's capitalized that it's some estate or something, you know, so it's the way I live at, at the Oaks and somebody else lives at the cliffside or whatever. So 
So these are people with money, uh, wherever we're set. And since the language is French, we may think that we're in France. But in fact, we quickly learn we are not in France. We're probably in Louisiana, which is where Chopin is from, because we uh, we see the environment. It's a plantation environment. Um, and we get the story of um, Desiree, who was found as an infant um, sleeping by the pillars of the entry drive to um, Valmondé's estate. And since Madame Valmondé was uh, never blessed with children, um, Monsieur and Madame Valmondé raised this child as their own. And indeed, throughout all of it, she is called uh, their daughter. She refers to the Madame as mother. And she grows up, in, after 18 years, to have turned out to be quite a beauty. One day, her neighbor, uh, Armand Aubigny, um, drives, is, is riding by and, uh, and sees her. Now, he's seen her since he was eight years old, we're told, um, when he first came into that neighborhood. His father um, owned a, a nearby plantation, but he, because the mother was French, um, he had stayed in France. The mother was unwilling to come to the United States. So they stayed in France until until Armand's mother passed away. And then uh, Armand's father came back and brought the eight-year-old boy. And he's been seeing uh, Desiree from time to time since they're neighbors uh, for his whole life. But this day, there was really, a, you know, a coup d'oeil, as they say in French, you know, a, a shot in the eye. He just sees her and is instantly in love with her. And Indeed, they marry and uh, and they have a child and she loves the child. Desiree loves the child. And what turns out, though, is after some initial happiness, uh, Armand is just delighted to be able to carry on his name. The child is a boy and Armand is very concerned with carrying on the family name. And now he's got a son and he can carry on the name. But about three months into um, the son's life. Desiree awakens with a sense of foreboding. Everything is different. Somehow everything is different. The, the, uh, the Negro uh, slaves that are tending to them uh, are, are cooler. The quadroon nurse uh, is no longer uh, gay. Um, there is a, uh, a, a, a black, we're told about, who lives obviously on the property, um, uh, called Negrillon, um, who's always a scamp, and Negrillon is not uh, is not feeling scampy. You know, something happens. The the mood has just gone gone bad. Uh, she's suddenly aware of that, and maybe it had been building over time. The way Armand's love or lust for Desiree had been building over time, but boop, comes a moment. There's a sudden recognition, a, a shot in the eye. Uh, by the way, Negrillon means pickaninny. It's, mm -hmm. it's really a, a degrading term for uh, for a black. And throughout the story, we have hints about color um, there, including, a, a, you know, we have a, a yellow nurse. We have mm -hmm. a quadroon, uh, meaning somebody who's one quarter black blood. Um, and we even have a reference uh, at the end. What happened near the end to a particular one? What's gone on is that 
as he has developed, the baby has suddenly, well, not suddenly, the baby is finally inarguably part black. How black, we don't know, but it's no longer possible to, to say this is a pure white baby. And that is what Armand, which means army man, actually, etymologically, cannot stand. He cannot, he cannot bear it. And uh, she, when she finds out that this is what's going on, she says, well, you know, please love me. You know, I mean, it, it you know, or should I go? And he just says that she should go. And so she takes the baby and she walks off. She's still wearing her peignoir. She holds the baby. And instead of going down the road to go back to her parents house which would be an enormously long walk um, you know days for all we know she walks across the field and walks to the side of a bank and we're told she never comes back again and for all we know she drowns herself in the baby we talk about how her, the shoes get worn up in that conversation with Armand that last conversation she says but I'm white I'm mm. white and he said no you know you must have black blood he says, I'm white uh, and he says yes you're even whiter than La Blanche. So apparently there is a, a Negro woman who is also on the, the plantation whose skin color is so light that she's known as La Blanche, the white one. So we, we know that although you can be known to be black in the social construction sense of the word, your actual skin color can vary enormously and, of course, what Armand and, and Desiree understand is that Desiree, a foundling, must have had black parentage somewhere or grandparentage or great-grandparentage. And it has come out in the child, which Armand cannot tolerate. And so she knows that she has unwittingly, to use Armand's thought about it, brought shame onto the household. And so she just walks off. She, he won't love her. And she can't stand it and walks off with the baby. A bit after that, Armand has a bonfire. He directs the Negroes, the blacks, the slaves, to put one thing after another into the fire. He's consuming the furniture that had gotten that he had gotten to celebrate the marriage. He's consuming in the fire her clothing. And at the end, he takes out the letters that they had exchanged and has them burned. And he reaches into this desk drawer and finds one more letter, which is not, in fact, a letter from him to Desiree or Desiree to him, but a bit of a letter, it turns out, from his mother to his father, both now deceased. And it says in this, she was thanking God, that is Armand's mother, for the blessing of her husband's love. But above all, she wrote, night and day, I thank the good God for having so arranged our lives that our dear Armand will never know that his mother, who adores him, belongs to the race that is cursed with the brand of slavery. And that is the last line of the story. So in that instant, Armand realizes that 
his mother must have been a very white looking woman because he came back at the age of eight. He had no idea that she was black as as Americans might construct it. He carried that genetic component from his mother and the baby that he took as proof that Desiree, the foundling, must have had black blood. That baby, in fact, was proof that he had black blood. And now the question is, what do we understand about knowledge? What do we understand about self-knowledge? What do we understand about the social construction of race? What do we understand about the love that Armand's mother and father shared and the love that they had for him versus the love that he does not share clearly with Desiree or for his child. And what about the blacks? What about these people who are part of the lives of the main characters in this story who nominally are white, but then we find out they're not? This is a story, to go back to your question about fantasy and science fiction, This is a story in which the discovery of knowledge and the recognition that one can mistake exactly what a fact can mean and have to reconstruct it, that's at the heart of this story. And good science fiction is often about how we know things. Scientia, after all, is Latin for knowledge. And this is deeply a story about knowledge and different kinds of knowledge, social knowledge, biological knowledge, historical knowledge, and the knowledge that we get from having faith in our relationships, which may or may not bear out. Um, I think it's a terrific story, and I'm glad that you feel that it is, um, despite in one way thinking, gosh, is this really fantasy or science fiction? So that's, that's an overview of the story. And a story, yeah. some of the pieces. I, I, I at the end of it, I was thinking, it, oh, it, it kind of is science fiction, <laughs> because uh, in reading it, I get the same feeling I got after reading a story called that won an award in 2006 as a great science fiction short story. It's about a human who goes to alien to an alien world and. And has to try and uh, sell some products there, you know, like door to door, and and he can't do it because they're they're basically insects and they don't have the same culture and interests and values and the food and everything's different. And that, of course, was sort of a Jack Vanceian style story about you know these weird aliens that have these weird ideas. And um, this is uh, this is uh, a story about. Uh, so so american right this is the american story and what's so interesting to me is you know the family was in paris right and then they came back in france and it actually says the father brought him home from paris a boy of eight right not just not just france specifically the most cosmopolitan city right well done yes and this is a place where uh, before anywhere else and certainly after uh it, it a little after the this story is set a little after uh, Napoleon and oh well maybe in the time of Napoleon but it's a little after the revolution where they declared you know racism is gone all men are brothers um, and they come to a land where you can have a a little quadroon boy 
you know, using his peacock feather uh, fan to fan your child. But if your child has happens to look a little bit look like that little quadroon boy, um, then you have to go into the swamp and kill yourself. And to me, this is completely alien, but it's the world that uh, existed and has so much relevance even for today, right? Um, politics today are deeply informed by the culture that's going on, this alien, strange culture that's going on in this story, American politics. Anyways, we've got our own issues where I live. There aren't actually very many black people. Um, there are a lot of uh, Asian people. And there. when I was a little boy, I grew up around a lot of native people. My sister's native. I'm not native. How does that work? Well, you know, uh, people move around a lot. <laughs> and... Uh, race does come into people's minds, even in a country that is not the United States, even if it's not as deep south as this Creole uh, Louisiana is. But it is still an alien culture to me. And seeing what ne necessarily happens at the end of the story, I actually didn't think that it was going to turn out the way it was. I thought, I thought, oh, they're both... Uh, they're both black um, in the sense that, you know, she says, I have gray eyes, right? And, and I'm, me, knowing my genetics, oh, that, that doesn't mean anything, <laughs> right? Because, uh, and it's entirely possible, I don't know if, if it was intended by Chopin that they were both uh, black. I, uh, the, the way I interpreted it right from the beginning, uh, and I love the Im imagery that... Uh, you were saying how a color comes up. Man, it is in basically every paragraph and every line almost. Right. But some even she's not hitting you over the so so good. It's so well done. It's it, that's why, you know, people calling her a genius when it comes to uh, writing. Uh, the roof came down steep and black like a cowl, reaching out beyond the wide galleries that encircled the yellow stuccoed house. I'm going back and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, the house is yellow all the way from the little quadroon boy to the lady to the little baby that's being, uh, uh, you know, cooled by the, it, everybody. It, everything is full of color in this. And then going right back to the very beginning of the story where the father, Monsieur Valmond, finds a little girl lying asleep in the shadow of a big stone pillar. Me thinking big stone pillar, that's marble, right? And marble's white. And she's in the shadow of a big white, I guess you'll get, you'll like this part, um, big white phallic symbol, right? Actually, and, actually, it's not the phallic symbol that gets me here. It's the gateway. Ah, uh, but the shadow. This this pillar is a is marks a gateway. There's another pillar, presumably on the other side of this. Mm. This is what is what literary critics like to call a liminal space. It's a mm -hmm. threshold, and she is exactly what you're pointing to. She is neither alive nor dead. She's asleep. Mm -hmm. She is between the black and the white, mm -hmm. and her whole life is constructed between the black and the white. Yeah, she's in the, but she's she's a black in the shadow of the white, right? Um, but 
whether she is black or not. Like everything that's going on in this story about you know, uh, there's a the the nurse is yellow. Is described as yellow. Yes. And and it's like, well, that's high yellow, right? Which is a kind of black. Yep. And uh, every uh, you know the sheets that are on the bed are a color, and the the nightgown that she wears is a, has noir in the name, right? It's like everything is full of color. This whole this whole story is about black and white, and it's so well constructed that. By the end, you know, even me uh, thinking of it scientifically, well, you know, see genes pass back and forth doesn't mean that uh, her gray eyes are. We never see this child. All we see is the reaction. The the mom, right, who uh, has a a reaction of shock, but maybe not as much as the daughter. And uh, this is uh, Desiree, right? When Mrs. Madame Valmont says, "This is not." your child, Desiree says, oh, yeah, I knew you would be astonished at the way he has grown, the little conchon de lait, the little suckling pig. Look at his legs, mama, and his hands, and his fingers. She's just excited about her beautiful little baby. And then Zandrine, who we are given to understand is the nurse, right, wearing her turban to cover her kinky hair, Look at his legs, Mama, and his hands and his fingernails. Zandrine had to cut them this morning. Isn't that true, Zandrine? The woman bowed her head, turbaned head, majestically. Maisie, madame. It's the sudden revelation, like you're saying, you know, the, the landscape, the, the people are all affected by the knowledge before Desiree yes. is affected. And once she is... You know, if if her husband can't embrace her and her child for what they are, then they can't exist in this world. The the, the end of the story with the with the husband, who uh, his last name Albany <laughs> makes me think of Albany, which is Alb you know it's like England Albion, right? What uh, the White Isle, um, army man. Army man's white white fighter. Um, he's well known for beating his blacks, but when his baby is born and he's so happy, everybody's happy. Then something changes, and he discovers his daughter, his son is a, a black, and he starts ignoring his wife and punishing her. When she discovers it, she says, can't we... That means I'm not, you know, all these unfinished sentences. Mm -hmm. And then he finds out that he's black. What's he to do? We never know. That, of course, the story leaves us to keep thinking and thinking. Mm -hmm. But it places us. Not, I shouldn't say but. It places this. It, this is done so gorgeously. As mm -hmm. you said, the writing, delicate. Um, color comes up so many ways. And yet... It doesn't force us to to stare at it. It just it's just there, naturally part of the world. Um, but in fact, this is a very well informed story. This is a story that that uh, was written when Chopin was already in her forties. She is a an educated person, uh, and one of the most famous uh, books in French literature is Les Liaisons Dangereuses, which 
often doesn't get translated into English. That is, even if you read it in English, it may have the French title, which means dangerous liaison. Um, it's a an epistolary novel. Mm-hmm. It's a novel told through letters, and every revelation comes from one letter or another. The the really evil man in that story, the 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 rake who takes terrible advantage of women, is Valmont. Mm-hmm. Right now, in this story, the good man who takes in the foundling is Valmondé. Mm-hmm. Now, Valmondé is not a word that that is in French, but one can see it constructed of um, Val, which means valley. Mm-hmm. Monde, as if it were the past tense of the world. This mm-hmm. is this is the valley made into the world. So Madame and Monsieur Valmonde, they are in the depths of the world. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no, fear no evil. These are the people who really would give shelter. Whereas Aubigny lives at a in a, a plantation known as Labrie, the shelter, and he does not give shelter. Desiree's name, Desiree, that's the past tense of, I should say the past participle, of the French verb meaning to desire. So she could either be the desired one or the one who desired. And in fact, she is both. Mm-hmm. This story, as in some sense, is so straightforward in a subtle but deep examination of so many issues and simultaneously so ironic, so ironic, because the problem with Desiree is that she was instantly desired by Armand. And the problem is that she is no longer desired because she is tainted, he thinks. And when he finds out that she never was tainted, as you say, what will he do next? I, I keep going back to the beginning and think about the the two families, right? The Valmont family seems like a nice family. The mom is kindly to her daughter when she finds out she's black. Um, or incorrectly or correctly that she's black. You mean Madame Valmont toward Desiree? That's right. Yeah. She writes to her mama, uh, my husband uh, won't keep me, right? Um, so she writes to her, then shows the letter saying, yeah, I can come live with her, right? Uh, I get the sense that Monsieur Val- Valmond is dead, um, but in her adopting this little foundling outside the gates of her estate, I also get the sense that it's not completely unrelated to her husband. I get the sense that Desiree is herself uh, a love child between the father and some black on the estate. Because what it says is, why it seemed just yesterday that Desiree was little more than a baby herself when Monsieur, in riding through the gateway of Valmond, or so we're told, had been found lying asleep in the shadow of the big stone pillar. The little one awoke in his arms and began to cry for Dada. Who's she crying for? Her Dada. Dada. Oh, absolutely. I have, I have, uh, I, I too agree that this seems very much as if Desiree um, is a love child and that Monsieur Valmonde 
was the father. What I don't see, though, is that there's any reason to suppose that she's the love child of the father and someone who was black. Well, I would say she's definitely uh, the love child of someone who who would give up her child to a person who could raise her better. So yes, but where the, we're in Louisiana, sometime as you suggested after Napoleon and presumably before the Civil War, since mm-hmm. slavery became absolutely illegal in France in 1848, we might even go so far as to say we're around 1850. And in 1850, um, Louisiana is full of a lot of white women. That's true. Who who really are pretty poor. Uh, yeah. The protests, though, is what gets me. Some people thought she might have strayed there of her own accord, for she was of the toddling age. So why did she go there? I don't think she went at all. I think he took her. I think he impregnated a woman. I believe she could well have been white because the contrast between Desiree's purity of motive and uh, Armand's impurity of motive is so clear. I think that that Monsieur Valmonde had a child with a white woman. Um, We know that Madame Valmonde could not have children. uh, And it clearly, if if Desiree is Monsieur Valmont's child, it's not because Monsieur Valmont couldn't have children. He had a child with a white woman. The white woman raised the child until she got to the point of just beginning to speak and just beginning to walk around, at which point Monsieur Valmont decided he would claim his own child. And, you know, she is the desired one. And whatever paid off the the woman um, mm-hmm. she as you said someone would know that the child could be raised better and madame valmonde was thrilled to have a child exactly. she may in fact have been thrilled because she may have even suspected it was her husband's actual mm-hmm. child and she wanted him to have a child because mm-hmm. she really loved her husband as armand's father really loved armand's mother but armand the army man who's more concerned with name than love, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. Blaming that party of Texans, this seems like, you know, we don't do those things around here, right? right. It's that it's It's got that idea of, you know, who, who would leave a child by the front gate? A party of Texans, because we don't do that thing around here. And, of course, at the end of the story, who walks out the front gate but Desiree and her baby. Yeah. With a rich story like this, it is never truer that there is always more to say. 